Cutting for Sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Pinnacline. The bad white men call him the devil. The Yavapai call him eyes like the sky. Jason Hanisick, you are an award-winning filmmaker, artist, and journalist. Your work has been exhibited at the Smithsonian's National Portrait Gallery, screened at various international film festivals, presented on stage at the Brooklyn Academy of Music and Ace Theater in LA, and featured on the BBC. Your photography monograph, I Slowly Watched Him Disappear, is in the research collections of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, MoMA NYC, and the New York Public Library's Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture in Harlem. You have a Master of Journalism from UC Berkeley, a Master of Fine Arts from California College of Arts, and have taught at both schools. Welcome, Jason Hanisick. Thanks for having me. We're so glad you made it. Yeah. Yeah. How's your uh, 2021 post-pandemic post, uh, life been treating you? Oh, it is... Um... It's been good. I've got some travels in and lots of hugs. Which been, <laughs> That's yeah. probably the best thing the best. I think anyone's going to ask yeah. for right now. That's amazing. Well, I, we discovered you because uh, you made the amazing film uh, Childhood on Fire. And I had uh, serendipitously got to meet the subject of that film. And we've also had him on here. And um, uh, Nick Herndon, I'm sorry, I didn't mention his name. And Nick said, you know, guys, this, my story's great. He, you know, we were, uh, Daniel and I were enthralled by his parenting and his story of, uh, with his sons. Yeah. And that's such a great episode that I, I think about often as a parent, as a dad. And he goes, uh, Nick goes, you know what you should really do is reach out to Jason. And, and I remember like hearing him, I'm like, I don't know what could be cooler than, than talking to you, Nick. And then I, we finally, you know, looked you up. I was like, oh, okay, I see what Nick's talking about. <laughs> so oh. you're, an, you're an incredible <laughs> filmmaker and your subjects, uh, the word that you use to describe the subjects of your films is resilience. Yeah. What, how do you find resilience in your life right now? Like what's, what are you, have been resilient through in the last, especially a couple of years through all this? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Um, Uh, really leaning into chosen family has provided a ton mm -hmm. of resilience through both the pandemic and also just navigating the ups and downs of daily life. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, and that does include some members of my biological family, but yeah. for the most part, it's, you know, it's made up of people whom I've chosen as an adult and they've chosen me that, you know, we're going to operate as family members. Yeah. Yeah. Is everybody local to you for that kind uh, of thing? Most of them are not, which is kind of, <laughs> which is, which has become, you know, sad in many ways, like that certain points in our lives, we lived in the same city or, uh, yeah. you know, what, whatnot, but no, everyone's kind of scattered at this point. Yeah. My wife and I use the phrase uh, doing life together to describe mm -hmm. those individuals. 
I've never used that. I like that word chosen, that phrase chosen family a lot. I, we've got a lot of, lots of those folks. I don't want to say lots. We have our, our group, our, our few that we do that. Daniel's definitely one of those guys for me. He's, he's become kind of my adopted brother, you know, uh, I don't even know what, what's more than a brother, you know, something uncle brother, <laughs> something, I don't know. <laughs> father, my your father, Ron. <laughs> You're not my dad. <laughs> <I'm yourself. laughs> I mean, that's actually kind of the, my, one of my favorite parts about the chosen family. Not that I enjoy the fighting, yeah. uh, but to, to step back when there's been a kind of like a tryst and go, Oh God, they really are my brother. Like we are fighting, like we are siblings. And then I re- I recognize the fullness of the relationship and I'm like, Oh, that's wonderful, actually. Yeah, that's so good. Daniel, I got a good a good row a couple of weeks ago. It was nice. It was, it was cathartic. It was like afterwards, we were both like, oh, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was such a long time coming, you know? Like, we've never had... Ronald's never said an angry word at me or hadn't ever, you know? Like, and I, I've... I could kind of feel like, hey, man, we're going to be working together and we're talking every day like this is going to. And I'm like, I have my own intensities and, you know, and so I was like, it kind of needs to happen. So we just know we're going to be cool and that, that it can happen. And it, and it was it was awesome. It was one of the more mature. No, it was like the most mature conflict <laughs> I think I've ever been in. And it was cool. It was like we were both kind of like not wanting to say hurtful, something hurtful, you know, mm. and um and yet both hurt and upset you know but hurt in different ways and I remember Ronald was just like I'm gonna take a minute here and he just like got really quiet looked down did some breathing and I was thankfully in a place where I wasn't like pushing him and he came back like maybe 30 seconds later and he wasn't suppressing shit he was just like I want to make a choice from not that place. And within 10 or 15 minutes, we talked through this issue. And then we did a podcast later that day. And then that by that night, I was like, man, I love you. I'm so impressed with what you just did in that. And it made me a more mature person and act more maturely. It was an awesome experience. I mean, isn't that like amazing that you get to model, you know, just like what you just described, you get to see a model and to model good be- like behavior that, that I don't know about you, but I wish had have been modeled for me for conflict resolution. And, yeah, yeah. and also on the other side, like the fullness of what love can be, not just tied to expectations yeah. or, you know, money or other types of things that really in a lot of biological families get really kind of fucked up when you're yeah. growing up that you learn these patterns and of behaviors that just become unconscious and hundred percent. Yes. I feel I don't like know, maybe are... Ronald had a completely different experience. Part of it was, was realizing I was like redlining pretty good. And, yeah. and when I'm redlining, I've finally, you know, 41 and I finally figured out like, what's this, what's the physiological um, experiences I'm having. So my vision narrows, my face gets hot. I feel like, you know, certain pressure in my nervous system, certain areas. And, and, and I wish I was one of those cool guys, like in the movies who has the exact right thing to say when they're, you know, they're angry or they need to get a point across. And I'm not, I, I like lose my ability to speak. 
and and all i really wanted to say was something like go fuck yourself something in that vein and i was like i this isn't gonna fix (laughs) fix the thing so i need to like actually like time out myself and and think of something i don't remember what i said but i do remember the feeling afterwards no you still said go fuck yourself but it was like really time (laughs) (laughs) and that's the kind of dad i'm I'm so glad i am (laughs) i really appreciate it It was like go fuck yourself with a hug at the same yeah. time. Like. Yeah. <laughs> a little ruffle of the hair. <laughs> That's funny. So, what was your, you know, Jason? You grew up uh, East Coast military culture around you. Yeah. I'm going to guess pretty um, a conservative, and yeah, in your yeah. family as well. Is your family conservative? Actually, Ron. Yeah, yeah, dude. Sorry, before we move on, uh, and I hope this is okay, but Jason, I was just curious if you've experienced much around that, that like, because we were talking about emotional intelligence last time, and particularly in men. That's a subject really dear to my heart, and I know Ronald too. Yeah, big time. How do you do in conflict these days? Do you you feel like you have the ability to self-regulate and make different choices? Do you lose it? Do you mind talking a little bit around that? Sure, I'm all over that continuum. I mean, I, I'm there. Everything that Ron just described around vision narrowing, nervous system getting activated, like all those things, I definitely feel that. And um, there are moments when I'm aware of that, and I can take a breath and take myself out of the situation and be like, I need to not have this conversation right now. Like, let's circle back at a different time, another time. Um, and then there are other moments where I cannot, I'm so in it that I can't self-regulate. And of course, afterwards I beat myself up about the situation. And then I'm like, I'm a human (laughs) and I'm doing my best. And I, you know, come back and there are, yeah, I mean, there's moments that I'm deeply embarrassed by about how I responded to individuals. Yeah feel that and also there are moments where other individuals have done that to me and i am able to to provide a sense of grace in my Mm -hmm. to myself and in in many ways to the relationship Mm -hmm. i don't want to say to them i don't want to say to the relationship between the two of us and just de-escalate the situation Mm -hmm. because i know what it's like to have been in that same position that they've been triggered because i know what it feels like when i've been triggered and i can't and i can't get out of it i can't see i can't get out of the loop you know that that i go into yeah some it's so powerful right when you when i've noticed uh in becoming a little bit more aware of my emotions that that it's really easy to say like oh i'm gonna make different choice when i get to that place i know what that that place feels like i'm aware of it i'll make a different choice but it's like it's not a me that can make that choice that's experiencing it by the time i get there it's like i'm not that person who can make that choice anymore and yeah I can, I mean, I, and there the gap can close, but yeah, but also like how how that rush of chemicals, that rush of hormones yeah, going through our body I mean. exactly. is set up to to protect us, to help us survive. I mean, mm-hmm. we're working against a lot of evolution. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> um, way to describe it. Yeah, and so I come back to just like giving myself a, a sense of grace. Like I'm an animal sometimes. And I'm, I feel threatened 
you know, mm. and it may be outsized and it's building upon 39 years of experiences, which have taught me a series of things, which caused that little lever to go off and those chemicals to rush down my body. Mm -hmm. And maybe by the time I die, I'll get to some enlightened place where <laughs> I can interrupt that lever every single time, but maybe not. Maybe I'm not, I'm going to die, yeah. you know, really, really flawed on that area. And that's okay. Like I'm doing my best. Yeah. It's interesting. You called it flawed, but then also said it's okay. Cause I don't even know if it's a flawed response, right? It's a survival response. Yeah. 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 I've heard it said that men deal with three major things, like the universal things that men deal with are kind of break down to anger, pride, and, and some kind of like struggle with their sexuality, like their, their inability or ability to like say what they want or, you know, would you, would you say that that's true in your experience and just your own life and then just kind of viewing your, where you grew up and your community and your circle of friends? Anger, pride, and then basically just sex, pleasure? just like sex, like pleasure. Yeah. You could, I think there's a bunch of, um, yeah. sub categories of sex. Like it could be shame or something. Could be shame. Right. Yeah. Um, wow. I'd have to give a lot more time to think about whether or not yeah. I would organize it just under those three like columns. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are like, <laughs> I mean, you touch one of those in any of the, you know, in a variety of individuals that have, you know, that I've crossed paths with and yeah. it's going to get, it's going to be a throwdown, you know, and I, and that could be a verbal throwdown. That could be a physical throwdown. That could be a throwdown in the bed, you know, like uh, we're going to talk about pleasure. Like, yeah, I mean, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 it's going to yeah. be, it's, 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 we're going to go to the mat on that one. I've never heard that one, Ron. Have you? Uh, where did you hear that? Or that's that a, a good question. Now I'm a little embarrassed to tell you where I heard it. I, I heard it probably in church, like oh. in some kind of churchy scenario, a long time ago. And I've and and in my experience within the church community, that seemed to be relatively true. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm just testing it out as I'm like outside of. I've been outside that world for a while now, but I'm just kind of like, is this true also here? And, and it's not something I completely subscribe to, but I, I'm curious about it. Yeah. I was, I'm trying to fill in the last one for me, like, not for me, but like how that would all round out. And I would think anger is definitely one for men, mass, the masculine in the world for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and then if pride were connected to shame, then I would say that's a good one too. That covers a lot of ground, at least for me personally. And, and I would think in the world. And the last one, when you say it happened around uh, sex or women, I would say like maybe possessiveness, you know, around, mm. around women or something mm. around that relationship with the feminine, with mother, with sexuality, you know, mm. Mm. I I'm with you, man. That covers like pretty much the like major issues that, uh, you know, and anger having to do with hurt, assuming, you know, yeah. uh, allegedly, you know, that, yeah, that's an interesting yeah. way to look at things. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I know, I, I didn't think I was an angry person until, uh, until I hit you that one day inspiring, it all came up. <laughs> then it all just like, <laughs> that's hilarious. I don't remember that. You'll have to uh, make fun of me around that one sometime. No, it was, it was right after I got a divorce. I get, so I was, Jason, I was married before I married my, my Christian brainwashing camp, sweetheart. Uh, we met when I was like the descriptor. Wow. <laughs> she was a lovely girl. I really like, she's a, a good human being, but we met when we were like 17 at this, uh, at this, like 
uh, summer camp that was like, Bill Clinton is the Antichrist. This is 1997. Bill Clinton is the Antichrist. Red China is going to take over America. And, uh, and the gay agenda will, will uh, destroy the world. And Woo! yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was like, they're really actively trying to brainwash us academically to like go that. Yeah. Afterwards, we got out of it. Both of us were like, whoa, what was that? But uh, we got married, you know, for, uh, for a bunch of reasons. We got a divorce and I was divorced by the time I was 25-ish. And right after the divorce, no, it was later. I was 26, 27. I was, I was living in England working for her dad uh, for a, a, a venture capital company that was trying to buy a British car brand. Okay. And, and, um, and I ended up working for that car brand and the, and the venture fell apart, but the car in the company ended up hiring me. And I had just gotten like my divorce papers FedEx to me from California to where I was living in England. I was having a rough time, like experiencing, um, anxiety attacks and, and drinking till I was blacking out a couple times a, a week, um, uh, almost nightly at that time. And I remember walking down the street in this little town I lived in. It was a, ta- it was a town called Stratford-upon-Avon. Oh, yeah. And uh, where old Bill Shakespeare's from. Oh. And I saw this boy who was like 12 or 13 on his bike with his gang of friends on their bikes. And these were just like normal 12 or 13 year olds. Like there was nothing nefarious about these kids. But a mother was like trying to get her her stroller around these kids. And she, you know, shouldn't have done this, but she was upset at one of the kids for getting their bike too close to the stroller. So she kicked the bike. And the kid started cussing at this lady and it was like top quality British, like (laughs) unloading, you know, it was beautiful. But for some reason that just like flipped a switch to my brain and I went over there, I don't know why, and I started like cussing this kid out. I mean, just like my strongest American, like you little mother, you know, just like going for it. And at first the kid was like terrified because an adult man is like yelling at him, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the here's the best part. They all noticed that like, I don't have the same accent that they have. And also that I'm actually not going to do anything. And one of them stops and's like, hey, where are you from? And, and I was like, oh, it's over. This is do- like, <laughs> this is done. And I started to laugh at myself. Like I started to re- realize like how stupid I probably sounded. And I started laughing. And of course this mother is like watching me, like what the fuck's this guy doing? Like, yeah. And, and I started laughing and then they unloaded the, the, like their own, like putrid language on me. It was wonderful. They were just started. It was, I, I don't even know the British slang anymore. Like they were just the call. The best part was like, they go, uh, get out of here, you filthy tramp. Go back to your own country. <laughs> Good old nationalism. <laughs> That's the one and only time I've ever been called a tramp in my life. And like, I'm pretty proud of that one. Yeah. But that was the moment I was like, oh, I might have an anger problem. Like this might be something wrong with me. And did you figure out what was underneath that? Oh, you know, just, um, (laughs) you know, facing my own failure. Like I, Mm. I was, uh, my, my parents were married and divorced 13 times between the two of them. And I thought, uh, if I could get married and stay married, I would, I would beat the system. Like I would have like stopped the, 
yeah the the cycle right yeah, yeah and yeah. and and so i was obsessed with the idea of marrying the right person as in my teens and 20s which is like it's not the time you need to be obsessed with that kind of thing in your life when you like yeah. don't know how to pay taxes and you don't know like how to like sign a lease agreement for an apartment you know like right. Right. The, the most normal adult things that person should know how to do and and so i think i was fighting the deep shame of failure yeah and and that but for a but for a script that you may or may not have wanted totally yeah yeah and it took me a long time to realize that that was the wrong script like i was i was reading off the wrong thing i mean i went to school to be a pastor because it was the wrong script and i could never you know i got jobs that i just like pastoral jobs ministry jobs that i didn't show up for like come on in and i just like didn't go because it was too my the cognitive dissonance was too strong in my brain it was like it was like this this magnetic like rejection almost in my brain and that was but but ron you're still like and this isn't a dig but like you're still reading that script you you still believe that like marriage in your life is hugely important as far as like whether or not you're a failure wouldn't you say that's a good question. Um, re, uh, ask me that again. I don't quite understand. Well, I, I think I heard Jason's question a little bit differently, and maybe I misinterpreted it. But like the script of marriage defines whether successful marriage defines whether or not your success in life or a failure, um, and like, is that the script? Is that a script that? you at the time were choosing how are you still choosing that and then like maybe you maybe that's a good thing like i think successful marriage is not the worst like bar you know to (laughs) judge yourself on you know ability to love uh my wife and i went through something really hard a couple years ago that i had to decide i had to like dig really deep and decide that i was reprogramming my reprogramming my brain to not believe that that's the success of a relationship was an indicator of the success of my life yeah and i had to just the script that i'm talking about yeah you just said yeah and i had to decide that whether we stayed together or not whether i was going to have my second divorce or not i was going to be okay like i had to decide that kind of without even knowing like what my next one step was next right step or the next 10 steps was can that you say was the question you asked again can you say it again I'm, i kind of missed it. what i just said the question that you and your wife asked uh i don't know if i even remember what i just said 10 seconds oh. ago but essentially like we were we were on the verge of we were we were asking the question and, and at certain points it was so heated i was definitely like hey i'm about ready to go to the courthouse and um but what I had to decide was like, I'm going to be okay, no matter what, whether we make it or don't make it mm-hmm. and whether we're going to work on this or not going to work on it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I know that's a lot about me, Jason. Are you, are you in a relationship right now? <laughs> are you looking to expand yours? Is that why you're asking? <laughs> I mean, am I your type? <laughs> <laughs> I like him a little furrier, but. Um... Nice spin, Jason. That was like an impressive. You just got jujitsu, Ron. <laughs> I did. I totally did. That was good. That was super good. Um, it is summer 2021, which I've heard many descriptors and I am Thankfully single for this moment.
<laughs> Wait, what do you mean by that? Uh, many descriptors for 2021? I'll just say it's on and popping. Nice. Oh, I see. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a sign in someone's window today going through the neighborhood that said, uh, vaxxed, waxed, and ready to relax. <laughs> I like just vaxxed and ready to relax. We'll keep all that hair. That's Bring the beautiful. bears on. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. I'll keep an eye out for him for you. I have noticed in the dating world that people are like ready to go. Uh, you know, I, that's what you mean, right? Things are opening back up and it is time. And yeah, it's, it's like funny too, cause it's summer time, you know, that that's happened, which is already such a, you're right. It's kind of like the roaring twenties of sexuality out there. Are we going to see like a, uh, like a giant increase, like uptick in like <laughs> venereal babies diseases, babies, like, <laughs> you know, yes and yes mistakes <laughs> yes and yes yeah. i don't know but people are so careful around uh around like maybe the maybe the pandemic and that awareness of your body and how fluids are shared with other people like crush the venereal disease issues out there hope so, just, hope so. i'm just a hopeful single guy <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic well that would get they got us off the chart of, of resilience what what got you interested in resilience? Like, why did you even become interested in the first place? Was it your time working at the Gap? Mm. <laughs> no, <laughs> outside of surviving corporate America. Did you um, did you start that? Did you start on the corporate side with that company, or did you start like everybody does normally and and start on the retail side? Oh no, I started on the corporate side. You started yeah. corporate side. I mean, you know, it, how I got that job was bizarre. Like it's tw- it's 2009. I've just finished my MFA. I'm, you know, my art career's starting to take off, but I can't pay my bills because, you know, art careers don't always produce yeah. <laughs> good, you know, I- income. And I'm at the like end of my financial rope and I'm applying for just like random Craigslist jobs at this point. Just oh my being gosh. Like, I just need to make money. Yeah. And uh, I apply to a job that does not announce what company it is. And it's just an asset coordinator, which is essentially like an archivist for a creative team. And I I show up for the interview and it's at, and I Googled like, what is too fulsome? Like, you know, where's this location? And it's, uh, it's on Google maps that it's gap corporate. And I was like, Oh, okay. Is this in San Francisco? Um, This is in San Francisco. Yeah. And Uh, basically the hiring manager was trying to get around HR because they didn't like the candidates that HR was sending them. And so they posted a Craigslist ad and then put me forward and I got the job. And then nine months later, you know, I hate, I mean, I, it, it did what that job did what it needed to do. Like in the arc, in the, in the asset coordinator, it paid the bills barely and student loans. But uh, I remember I would have to walk to work and play Katy Perry's. I don't, God, what was what was the Roar? name of that song? No, earlier. Oh, earlier. I kissed a girl or something okay, like that. Okay, okay, definitely not. I kissed a girl. Um, and uh, shows I mean, you all wrong. the Katy Perry songs I know. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, like firework, just to like pump myself up. Like, okay, I guess I'm gonna go and do this again. Like, oh I guess gosh. I'm gonna make like this, like you know, yeah. whatever. And uh, and then nine months into the job, I. Um, uh, my sister died very suddenly and mm. the the Dan Savage and his husband Terry I think is his name uh launched the It Gets Better project and I was at the funeral 
saw the their contribution to the It Gets Better project, saw the um, media's sudden attention. Oh my God, there's a rash of you know LGBTQ suicides, and it's like, yeah. no, we've been killing ourselves for a long time. You guys are just paying attention, uh-huh. and uh, came back. And I had a weekly meeting with my VP, the VP of my department. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of gay people that work at Gap, both in the retail and in in the in the um, corporate side. And yeah. he was gay. I'm gay. And I was like, we're not going to talk financials this week because that was like another component of my job. Yeah. I was like, I need to show you this. And so I showed it to the showed it to him. He, What'd you show him? I showed him. I think it was Google's contribution because at that point, oh, gotcha. Google was the only uh, corporation that had made a made a uh, corporate contribution yeah yeah and um he's in tears and i said just imagine this imagine there's a kid in the midwest who walks who sees this sees gaps video mm-hmm. walks into their gap store and makes a friend and decides not to commit suicide mm-hmm. because they don't feel so alone mm-hmm. um i was like this isn't about selling clothes this is about saving lives mm-hmm. and that's all it took he just turned around he picked up a red phone which is a direct line to the you know the president of the company uh. And on Monday, I, uh, I was in production on what became Gap Inc.'s contribution to the It Gets Better project. And I mean, I, had, I lied the entire time. I was like, oh, I've made videos. Like, I've got this. I had never shot a live action, you know, piece in my life. My sister was the filmmaker in the family. I had always left that, you know, that space of the visual world to her because that was hers. I was, mm. in, I was in the still photo play space. Mm. Um, and I had cut videos of other people's footage, hmm. like f- appropriated, you know, works and I sh- in my exhibitions, but, um, this was the first thing that I had made and basically directed. And it was like the torch passed, you know, in her death in wow. some ways. Um, and I've been making suicide prevention things every so often for a while. Um, wow. since then, it's really wow. important to me, um, wow. not so much shaming somebody to not commit suicide Mm. because that's ultimately an individual's decision. I've had, I've had people in my life who have decided to end their lives Mm -hmm. because they're in massive amounts of pain. I've had Mm -hmm. people in their, their, my life who were watching their body deteriorate and they were at the, you know, quote unquote, an acceptable age. And it was an assisted suicide situation. Um, So it's not about that. It's just knowing that, you know, if if that is, if if the question that you are currently asking that is sending you towards that space if that can be solved there are people here to help hmm. and just take the breath right hmm. and the the individual that i know who did assisted suicide it was a long conversation you hmm. know it wasn't a it wasn't a split second decision hmm. and i don't I'm, i don't want to say that other individuals it's a split second decision but yeah. just getting that getting that little bit of breath in there to, yeah. to go, you know, what, what does this look like? Cause I'm a suicide survivor on, you know, multiple sides. And it is, that is probably the most intense thing that I have to, that I struggle with over and over again is could oh. I've done more, that kind of thing. Yeah. Were you about to say Daniel? Oh, uh, I was just clarifying, but um, I mean, I, I hesitate to ask this question, but I guess it's, it's probably fine if you don't want to answer but have, have you ever what's your relationship with like have you ever had suicidal thoughts or has that ever been something that you've thought about for whatever reason absolutely <laughs> absolutely 
and I, I and I got and I got you know thankfully I had the tools to to get help yeah. yeah and be like yo this is not right I need to I need to talk to somebody yeah, yeah a friend of mine reached out uh, recently and was saying that <clears throat> they were having a really hard time and it was getting to that point where at least thoughts were coming in and but they were also like I'm not I don't want people to see me like this and and I was really saddened by that because in my own experience with suicidal thoughts and actions um like the thing that got me through it was lights like blitzkrieg get help you know you know and it was really important to shine light on that to my family to my partner at the time and to a therapist people who actually knew what they were doing in the clinical pathological professional level and then friends you know and right. I was never accused, at least I know of, of being selfish or, um, you know, uh, uh, taking their time or energy in a way like everyone was really there to help and they got through it, you know. Um, right. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Daniel. Man, um, Glad you're here, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. Glad <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I'm too. I'm too. Yeah. I, I, that's a it. and the best uh, just like a side note sorry ron no no no. the best parts of my life have been after that time mm. like tenfold mm. you know Can you and tell I'm not, me why well i want to be really careful about talking about this because people get to a place where they want to check out of this world for a lot of different reasons and i am not speaking to all of those reasons it's yep. um, a good disclaimer the, re- the reasons that were that drove me there were emotional and oh, can I can I be clear? I'm asking about tell. To, I'm curious as to why the best parts of your life have been post. Yeah, that's yeah. I, oh, I okay, okay. That. I'm answering that question. Um, uh, and so because they were emotional problems, not because of, but I recognize they were emotional problems. Got that help. Started on peeling the layers underneath what the emotions were that were driving me to not want to be here. And the answers that I found led to like 70% of the greatest experiences of my life and connections with people and new levels and awareness and ability to feel my emotions, the emotions under what was expressing itself as anxiety, extreme anxiety, which I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy and anyone out there who's experiencing any level of anxiety. It can be really confusing and very uncomfortable <laughs> and uh but for me there was there was uh emotional answers underneath that and for me it was suppressed grief um you know grief just ended up if i felt it which was a hell of an adventure just to get to it i'm not mm. minimizing that oh yeah it was suppressed grief so i just like decided to feel grief one day and the anxiety went away <laughs> But I did eventually get there. And when I did, that anxiety just melted into grief. And there was knowledge there that uh, set me on a path where I was really able to grow up Mm, and feel feel safe in the world now, you know, in general. And if I don't feel safe, now it's information. You know, anxiety is now information instead of just like, you know, an attack or what feels like an attack. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And it reminds me of our earlier conversation about dealing with kind of anger and how you mm-hmm. how one you know is with their response and it's it's that information right so how many things how many 
triggers and also responses are, or how many triggers are we responding to that we don't actually know what's mm. underneath that trigger in the first place. And so yeah. there's like an outsized reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, it's something that has metastasized that has not been investigated or dealt with for a variety of reasons, yeah. right? Mm. Like there's mm. shame, there's grief, you know, there's, and I don't mean to just start pulling out, you know, kind of buckets, but I'm saying like, when someone touches a soft spot, one of the things that I've learned to go to do is like, I'm going to have the initial response. And then I'm going to go and go, why is that such a soft spot? Why does that bother me? You know, why is Mm. financial insecurity such a debilitating thing for me, Mm. you know, in a variety of ways? Well, because it was normally attached with XX and X in terms of some of my closest relationships growing up, mm. right? Finances were attached with love and in, in certain mm. relationships. And so when I, so it, it impacts on all these other ways and all it, all, all it really is, is like, let me figure out, let me get to a better sense of self-awareness so mm. that I can make a, have a better response, not so that I can be in control, but so that I can flow with mm. what's in front of me and what's happening. Cause I'm never going to be able to control somebody else's, you know, what yeah. they say, but what I can do is be in a better relationship with how I respond. Yeah. Yeah. That's straight up Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, have you read that book? It has been a cool decade, but um, <laughs> I need to, I, I, it sounds like I need to go and reinvestigate. because It sounds you know, like you don't, because you just basically said that you live the thesis of it in, in my uh, experience. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're on here talking to us. <laughs> We're desperately <laughs> looking for answers. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's that sounds like you guys have figured out a few. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that one that you just that. spoke to that we have a choice and right. We don't always feel like we do. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think that the, the, maybe a better way to say it is I, and I'm just hacking this stuff out. I really am, but I have experienced a couple successes with it is that we have the potential to choose, you know, how we respond to stuff. And yeah. you got to let go of, you have to learn, you have to let go uh, of what you, with the choice you are making. Some of those choices are not conscious. So like, oh, you know, your, your, your mind is making a choice subconsciously. How the fuck do I make a different choice when it's already made for yeah. it? Like, right? right? Yeah. But the potential, I believe, is there for us to slowly start, and in some cases quickly, make ground on making choices about how we respond to the adversities of life. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had a really, a really wise friend one day say to me, um, I'd had a really, um, a really intense experience happen and I wanted to let go of it. I wanted it to just kind of go away and get rid of it. And I, cause I kept hearing that language in the self-help space. Like you got to let go of this. Right. Mm -hmm. And this really good friend turned it on a dime for me and was like, Jason, it's never going to, it's never going to be gone. Mm. This is with you for the rest of your life. The Mm. question is, is your relationship to it Mm. and whether or not it's going to control how you move through or whether or not, you know, control you on how you move through with this or whether or not you're going to kind of, um, as, uh, you know, as my, my, uh, the subject of the protagonist of, um, my feature says, you know, it's like a pearl, right? Mm. There's that, there's that little there's that sand that that's, that's the mm-hmm. grit, right? Mm-hmm. And that's causing the problem for the, what is it, an oyster? Or... Yeah, an oyster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I forget. Um, so it's an, you know, it's causing that grit. And in order to protect the body, the pearl is created around that little bit of grit so that it's, you know, and it makes something really beautiful. And in many ways, that's what I hope I'm doing as a filmmaker with, as I kind of, you know, shepherd and repackage the stories of individuals lives who have gone through that um, or package them. That's interesting. You know, that term pearls of wisdom, like total cliche, right? But I never, because Ross Pino, one of our last guests, he's an artist in Brooklyn, really, really cool guy. And um, he was, he mentioned that same exact thing that you just said, Um, you know, there being irritation uh, and maybe much more than irritation, like utter (laughs) destruction at the center, you know? Um, I I did just want to say too, like, I I can't believe, put too fine of a point in my opinion on it's easy to say that we have a choice to respond to different things and that is i know that's not the case sometimes it is you know but when you're getting bullied by when a person's getting what i term getting bullied by my emotions you know overwhelmed by them controlled by them just affected in a way where i don't have a choice that's a tough place to be and i mean that's one of the mysteries of the world how to get through that and because it's probably different for each person, you know, but I think that that journey to do that is one of the most val- valued and valid thing, excuse me, things that a person can go through, um, you know, because it even relates to our discussion about anger. Yeah. I, I Last night, I kind of feel like I lost my like one month, you know, chip in losing my cool with someone. And mm. um, I really disappointed in myself, but, you know, I lost the chip, kind of had a little relapse and, I wasn't able to make a choice, you know? And so, all right, let's wrap it out again. Let's reset that, yep. you know, back to the beginning. Yep. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, that's interesting. But Do I'll just th- say, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I mean, I'll just say, to follow up on this kind of choice thing, I mean, it's exciting that we're in a moment where we're both discovering things that cultures have known for a long time, which is yeah. the use of psychedelics <laughs> as one, you know, as one play, one yeah. area to kind of help reset the neural pathways of the brain. We also have found modalities like EMDR. I mean, so, you know, there are, there are, there are plant-based and also talk therapy based. So, you know, yeah programs which can help you so that that can be regulated in some way and i mean yeah go ahead what's your experience with psychedelics uh they are powerful (laughs) (laughs) but i mean it's interesting you bring it up have you had a a, some kind of cathartic experience with psychedelics i have yeah um i mean i i haven't used them in a um I'm I'm fascinated by and uh, and would love to try. Oh God, I forgot what microdosing. I, I no, I've done that. Um, okay, <laughs> um, ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. I almost did about a year ago, uh, or two years ago, um, and that was the you know I I walked back. I was too close to an incident that had happened in my life, and yeah. I was like, I'm not ready to 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 be with this quite Good yet. Job. Good job, man. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm really interested in what Michael Pollan kind of oh, you know yeah. Uh, yeah. the history that he that he put together for basically for mostly for Western. How yeah. to change your mind? Is that what his? How book to change your mind? Yeah, yeah. The books right back back over here on my shelf. Yeah, and I would love to work with a therapist that's that's you know trained in that you know that modality basically because yeah. I think it would be really powerful. 
Yeah. Donald's leading a, psych- a, a mushroom psychedelic uh, retreat, right? In September? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. whoa. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome to come. It, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't tell too many people that, but I guess it's out of the bag. But uh, <laughs> Well, you mentioned it in our last podcast. Uh, did I? That's funny. Yeah, uh, man. <laughs> I say things that I like don't remember saying. But, uh, yeah, uh, really what we're doing, Jason, we're not, we're not providing like a – a mental health care professional to to talk you through something mm. uh, although there will be one there to hold space okay. um, um uh, but we're just providing the space uh we've rented this amazing uh, space in in the, the kind of the wilderness that's i think really um going to between the kind of th- the vibe everyone is bringing together yeah. And our intention of healing, like the intention is not recreation. That is not right, the right, intention. Right, 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 the, right, right, right. The, the intention is to dive safely together into the stuff that needs to be untied in our minds and our hearts. Yeah. And um, so, so I will be, and, and, and so will this other person who's the mental health care professional, um, We'll just be holding space for the for the men who will be walking through this. Uh, if you want to, wait, talk is about it all it men? It's all men. It's all men. Wow. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. You know, I, uh, <laughs> we'll see. I'm fascinated that you're doing this, and I would love to hear about it afterwards. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll I'm curious. Is that is that something that puts you off of wanting to do something like that? That it would be all men. No. Uh, oh. It fascinates me even more. I mean, there's a there's okay. a film called The Work. Have you seen this? Yeah, I'm so glad you talked about Uh, about this. Uh, We've got a writing partner who's like a black belt in that world. Yeah, he did it. Well, he he worked with those same people from the movie. Uh, He did the thing. I mean, that film is incredible. That just that that you know, yeah, yeah. So I so that the work and what you're doing very different but similar in a certain way. Maybe they could Um, combine the work idea with uh, with the psychedelic idea i mean richard's probably do like i could see richard doing that in the future that's a guy you need to talk to as well jason richard's had an extraordinary life and and we're he's we're working with i'm sorry daniel and i are are working with him uh as as peers on we're all working on our own stories and and he has a, a very very interesting story um they'll tell you uh, I mean, you can go listen. We actually interviewed him on one of the podcasts. I'll let okay. you listen to it. But basically, yeah. he's the son of a drug dealer and uh, really fought a lot of stuff growing up and, and a lot of trauma. And 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 he was uh, stuck in pain one night, like insane pain. His relationship with pain because of his uh, athletic athletic career isn't uh, is unimaginable. But he was trying to get his mind off the pain and found that movie changed his life wow. uh, and sought those guys out, flew to San Francisco to work with them wow. and, uh, and has continued to do that work on the East coast. And he's like really, really involved. And I've worked with a lot of like men's coaches and been in that world for a long time. And that guy is one of the most naturally gifted dudes I've ever met in my life in that space. Like he is, wow. he is not only empathic, empathetic, I'm sorry, but he's a, he's a, he's an actual leader. He's a very, very good leader. Yeah. And he, um, I've been, is Richard Hubbard is his yeah. name. And we did a episode with him. <clears throat> I think that I've done his uh, Wednesday men's group, uh, which is, is free and really valuable. Um, 
and uh, several times. And he, I think that he's one of the people who has the most complete masculine feminine spectrum, everything in between package in the way he speaks in the way that he leads in the way that he does his work yeah um, it's really been an honor and a pleasure to work with him and in mm. writing in men's group you know sessions and just as a friend he called me he just he'll just uh anyways i i love richard hubbard shout out to that person yeah. <laughs> he's he's the real deal he's awesome He's awesome. I mean, I was asking about psychedelics because it's been a part of my life for the last couple of years. And I've, I know I've, said, I've mentioned it on here before, but I'll, um, I used to have a really bad relationship with an inner voice that just told me what a piece of shit I was for, for my whole life. And, and it was the kind of inner voice that would wake me up in the middle of the night to remind me what a piece of shit I was. And then I would become super adrenalized and would not be able to sleep the rest of the night. And and uh, which was probably a big reason why I drank so much in my past. And um, I would think so. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. that's quite the saboteur. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it was through microdosing, which was my first experience with psychedelics, um, which was a not which was not a psychedelic experience at all. Like I'd never felt anything, experienced anything that I could attribute to that in particular except for the, um, well, there's no exception that I didn't have a psychedelic experience. I will say the outcome was laying in bed one night, that voice coming for a visit to, to tell me how terrible I was. And then, and then the question for the first time in my life, which <laughs> felt like the biggest relief, which was, is this thought serving me? That was mm. literally what my brain came up with. And the even the proposition, the proposal of that question in my mind was like the biggest gift I'd ever had. Mm, and mm. like, holy shit, I, I like got I got some breathing room for this. And um, and just asking that question was felt completely like I was the, the I got the value of, of that microdosing experience. Because I was able to say, no, it's not, it's not helpful. I don't have to wrestle with this anymore. And, and instead of like trying to not think about it or instead of trying to come up with another thought to overwhelm it, it was like, no, it's not helpful. And, and it was almost like my brain was like, okay, what else are we going to think about now? And, and I was able to like roll over and like go to sleep without, without the anxiety that I used to carry and all those kinds of things. You know, Jason, a, oh, sorry, ahead. please. A similar but different experience. I have a horrific fear of heights. I mm. mean, it's one of them. I have like a few um, recurring dreams. One of them is that my death will occur from a fall off the side of a mountain. Mm. The second is being in Elton John's shoe closet. May that happen one day in real life. <laughs> I have nothing, no real interest in shoes, but apparently I just really want to be in his shoe closet with him. Um, Dude, that's amazing. But back to the fear of heights, because that's the that's the. So wait a in. second, just so I'm clear, that's a reoccurring dream you have from like childhood. Yeah, I'm like that kind of obsessed with Elton John. So good. I, you know, I, his shoe closet is like the size of a house. Oh, too. He's probably... Exactly. There's multiple shoe closets. I'm like. <laughs> There's a bathroom in his shoe closet. Let's put it well, out. Good, because I'm going to need time in there. Um, That's so but, good. Uh, I, so I do this as a way to like kind of um, reset 
uh, because there's you know, we don't really have seasons so much in San Francisco. It's yeah. kind of just all the same. Yeah, is that I will walk from my house um, in the Tender Knob neighborhood, which is this like bleed neighborhood between the Tenderloin and Knob Hill. I'll walk from my house across the Golden Gate over to Sausalito and then take the ferry back into San Francisco. And it's a way for me to kind of yeah. like leave everything in San Francisco across the bridge. But I have this horrific fear of heights. So getting <sighs> across the Golden Gate Bridge is, can be a very intense experience. And one day I decided that I was going to do this and um, uh, do some LSD. Um, and I got to the middle of the bridge and I found myself literally not, you know, let me be clear. There's no scary part to this story. I'm just, but I'm leaning on the edge of the bridge, like on the, on the, you know, on the railing. And I'm just getting to enjoy the sailboats that are on the sea or on the, you know, in the bay. And I'm realizing, oh my God, I'm not scared. I like, there's no anxiety. It had all just disappeared. That was normally there. And it actually really helped my meditation practice because I finally could figure out what they, (laughs) what they were talking about, where you just were in with, Mm. you know, the cars as, as headspace loves to do, you know, you're just watching the cars pass by. And, and it was in, in some way where you were like, well, is this serving me? I was like, oh, I'm not inherently afraid of heights. This is just some kind of anxiety response. And this is what it feels like to not be in that anxiety response. And so I actually have a choice now when I walk across the bridge, whether or not I'm going to engage with that response, which I never had that choice previously. Yeah, Um, that's amazing. And it was like very powerful rewiring of my brain. Yeah, Yeah, see, and again, that seems like it's the uh, the, uh, experience of... of achieving by whatever means in this case psychedelic <clears throat> choice <clears throat> you know choice uh yeah. regarding something you didn't have a choice about before right 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 i was gonna say earlier you know i saw ronald's experience with that voice that he did not have much agency over um or communication with and i feel like i saw in his life r- real time connection with that and him making a choice to not do that uh, to not engage with that voice or feed that voice or become the part that creates that voice and just say different things and you know a lot of people I think we all maybe at times say I experienced this thing and it was so enlightening you know and then it's like it was really just kind of a small real change you know which is okay and good change happens slow but I I've been curious about what affects subconscious access to your subconscious and subconscious change change in your inner world and it seems like for me trauma will change that within us for for good or bad yeah and so will repetition like daily repetition but also you know psychedelics hypnosis i've heard can you know but i don't know much about that world and i haven't had any success or experience in it i'm in success with my small experience but psychedelics seem to be the way to if you are ready to make wholesale changes or significant inner changes, that's that seems like a doorway. It's just such it's one you have to be so careful. At. Like for me, it is not a doorway that is open. Like I just can't. It led to huge trauma in my life, and it wasn't right. Right? I've heard mm-hmm. other stories about people having ayahuasca experiences and then throwing themselves in front of a train. You know, if you have childhood trauma you know, as I understand it, be super careful, you know, take incremental steps. I don't know, but 
it seems like that's a doorway um, that is, uh, and I'm really glad that you that we're all sharing about it um, and that the world is discovering it, right? It's beautiful. Well, parts of the, I mean, parts of the world have always known about it. Yeah. Thank you. Decriminalized and, yeah. and in yeah. places so that, so that we can get back to researching it and understanding hundred percent how it works. Jay, I'm glad you brought up the negative side of that too. Cause I think <clears> it's, it's easy to like, um, say something is, is like purely good and, and right for everybody. And I, and I think it's, yeah, it's, it's right to mention, like, actually it's not. And, and there are risks involved. And Jason, you were mentioning like right before. We actually, Ron, can I say one more thing yeah. about that? It's yeah, not yeah. a whole nother topic. I just yeah. quick note. Um, I, I feel like it's important to know too. I've learned recently and experienced myself that me- edible marijuana can is metabolized in our brain similar to a, a psychedelic and that's another thing people should be very careful in my opinion with and also um and also use as as with that intention intention if they do feel safe that's i just wanted to say that yeah i was gonna say uh jason or bring up the fact you know you mentioned your feature length film uh did i did i use the right phrase feature length film yeah yeah okay And, uh, and I think you were saying that the kind of the precipitating moment for the protagonist and that was also from a drug experience, right? A negative drug, drug experience. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a prescription drug. So they, the, the inciting event in that film, it's also the inciting event in the short that this film is based off of, um, which is the the name of that again. Yeah. The short is called how to make a pearl and you can see it, uh, you can see it on the Guardian's website. The best cool. place to watch it is on Vimeo's, the Guardian's Vimeo channel, only because okay. it's the film happens in almost complete darkness, and that's oh, part wow. of the film. And yeah. Vimeo just deals with, uh, you know, uh, quality differently than YouTube does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but we'll nonetheless, make, we'll make sure to have the link for that in the show notes. So that's great. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah. The. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's given uh, the 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 setup is it's a guy who uh, this is a true story. It's a guy who in 2007 becomes allergic to artificial, and I say allergic because we don't have any other language yeah. for this to understand what's going on. But um, becomes allergic to artificial and natural light, and mm. has lived in almost complete darkness uh, since 2007. Um, and I say almost complete because he lives by the light of a one LED or one battery LED flashlight. Um, that he turns crazy. on and off as he's navigating his space because of too much light, he burns and describes it almost like having a sunburn, but on the inside of his skin. Um, so even like candlelight all, does that to him? Every single, oh every single gosh. type of light. Um, so like, you know, at his worst, he had even the lights that are on the microwave that illuminate the time. Yeah. He had to cover that with a black flap. So that that because that would that was enough light to burn him if that was you know not covered. Wow. Um, so is the LED light different or something? Because that's a heck of a lot brighter than the microwave time light. No, it's not. It, it's not, it, it, he he just has control of when it's turning on and off. And I mean, oh. he cut himself enough times trying to make dinner that he had to. You know, he was like, "Well, I got to have this on for a certain amount of time so oh. that I can chop vegetables and things like that." Mm. Um, but. To, to your point or to your question, he was given, I'll let, I'll let the. Uh, <laughs> Perfect city, let, San Francisco yeah. city sound. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he was given the pill form of lidocaine. 
And that's a um, narcotic, right? That's like an actual, it's like in the family of like um, opium or something like that. Is I that actually right? don't know what family. I don't know. I know. It's part of. Yeah. Okay. Um, but he's given that, he's given that drug and um, he says, and we don't know how memories are stored. Like we just don't know that, yeah. that information fully enough yet. Yeah. Um, he says that um, he took the drug and it, unleashed a series of traumatic memories that he had not thought about in a very long time. And he got caught in a series of what would be called basically PTSD episodes. And, mm. you know, he walked to the edge of suicide with mm-hmm. those because he couldn't get help. He's a, mm. he's a vet and the VA was not sending anybody out to his house. And, you know, the, one of the more curious things that he has said that has brought to my attention how we control our own thoughts and our own chemical experiences, basically, of the world is he's like, you know, I don't really have the ability to change the channel because mm-hmm. I'm just sitting in darkness. You know, when, when, you know, if you're having a bad day, I think this is one of the things that got so complicated with the pandemic. You know, you go outside, right? You know, you change the channel of your environment, and he was stuck in that and so the film explores it goes through a a bunch of different um sort of questions that are not Mm. specifically related to surviving in the darkness but it uses darkness as this as this metaphor Mm. and explores uh john capellas that's the uh, gentleman's name it explores his life through this lens (laughs) and i'm i'm really interested in individuals who have experienced something that is almost at the level of myth you know, a guy that mm-hmm. has has um, been forced to live in the dark for the last, you know, four, yeah. almost four, what fourteen years. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a film. You referenced it at the start of the, at the of the podcast, "The Childhood on Fire." Nick was set on fire by his stepfather when he was yeah. a child. Yeah, you know, um, I've made a, a f- in my earlier life as a visual artist. I made a lot of work with veterans who have returned from war and are trying to integrate that. And mm-hmm. you know. Sadly, we've normalized the experience of, of we've, we've normalized that we are constantly in a war, hmm. right? I don't remember much of my life where we don't have soldiers deployed in some kind of conflict, Yeah, right? This just seems like it's going to go on forever and, it, and, all, and all over the place. But that is not, I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't want to speak as a historian because that's not my space, yeah. but like what those individuals are experiencing is not necessarily what we should be doing all the time. Like they've experienced something that's at the level of, in my mind, myth. Yeah. Um, And, and, and I want to be clear, like that's the trauma, but then the post-traumatic growth and the resilience that's created Mm -hmm. to survive that, right? Mm -hmm. Some people walk up to suicide and they go like, I don't want to do this anymore. And they exit and that's Mm. their choice. Mm. Right. It leaves a wake of a lot of intense feelings for those that are left behind, but ultimately that's their body and that's their, that's, that's their choice as to whether or not they can handle this any, any further. I'm interested in those who don't make that choice, who don't choose to exit and they have gone into their hells, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. And they've mined a lot of pearls for, since we've already used that in the, in the, (laughs) in the course of this conversation, and I think that they bring back a lot of information for the for for those of us that have not been asked or tasked with walking mm-hmm. through that hell, um, and ways in which we can think about 
our lives differently, you know, and with Nick, Nick just continues to be a beacon, uh, in my, my opinion, of how to raise children, both as a father, but now specifically as Magnus, uh, Nick's oldest child, has announced that their pronouns are they, them, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, has chosen to, uh, uh, you know, wears, uh, prefers to wear dresses and, and uh, you know, other, uh, um, other types of things that we have coded as feminine. Yeah. And I'm just watching Nick produce an experience, Nick and the family around Magnus, I want to be clear, because it's yeah. not just Nick. Yeah. Um, produce a loving environment where Magnus gets to figure out who Magnus is on Magnus's terms. Yeah. And as a, as a kid that grew up queer, where I, it's, I found out later that my, you know, that my father was gay mm. and my father didn't do that, didn't do that. Yeah. He watched me walk into becoming an evangelical Christian and try to basically put myself through conversion therapy. Jeez. And that level of betrayal and regret, yeah. betrayal specifically that I felt, yeah. you know, where he was, he was protecting himself in so right. many ways. Like he has to live with that decision and I have to live with that decision and I have to undo all of that work, you know, that was done there. And I, you know, Nick in the, in a childhood on fire, um, the experiences that Nick is having that are traumatic are set off by these beautiful scenes in which Nick is reading these lunch notes to his children, Magnus and Odin. And he's, he's very, he's so smart. He's getting, he's trying to get in to his child's psyche before the external narratives of their self-worth has, has, you know, gets in and tells them what they're worth. And he's trying to get in there and, and, and not necessarily produce a counter narrative, just produce a narrative that is, that is based in a foundation of love and support and worth. Right. And he just posted uh, uh, on Instagram like two days ago. Yeah. Latest lunch note. I just saw it too. Yeah. Magnus. And I mean, I'm sitting there going, if I would have received this as a gay kid, I would have saved so much time. Hmm. And what a unique way to do it, too, because that letter can be kept and then referenced again. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't change or get warped by your mind for better or for worse. It's just concrete there, totem, always. I, that was one of the more touching things that I've uh, heard people, someone talk about, you know, in, in this year, that he does that for his kids, takes the time. It's special. I'm, I've yeah. got the post pulled up. What, what do you guys think, uh, journalist and, and, and uh, filmmakers? Is it ethical to read this? It's public. Uh, p- perfect. <laughs> okay. I mean, he doesn't have a, he, uh, well, I, uh, I don't No, He doesn't have a private account. He has a public account. Yes. Yeah, public. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to read it. Cause this, I, I'm glad we all three Powerful. saw it. Yeah. 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 It says uh, Magnus, I love watching you discover who you are and the confidence you show in how you present yourself. <sighs> okay. I'm going to try to try to make it through this. <laughs> I'm here to cheer you on, learn from you and be your biggest fan some of who you are how you see yourself and the ways you want others to see you will change over your life and that's okay 
I will always respect you. You are normal to me. You are special and you belong. Love, Dad. And what I love so much about what, because you rereading it brought it to my mind, is that he's, Nick is not, not to like an, analyze this too much, but I'm going to learn from you. He put, he doesn't, he, he, he drops the hierarchy of the father child relationship, right, parent child. Right. It's like you're lead, you, you also are leading. And that is a level of empowerment. Yeah. As, <clears throat> that's just that's that's real special yeah yeah it's extremely <laughs> special <laughs> you know yeah um yeah, yeah. It, it's easy to say that we can learn from children but to when i see parents and people in general relating with children and they put those children in leadership positions with their words saying that i just learned this thing from you or, or in some way exactly what you just said um it's it's like humbling it's humble it's empowering it, it makes both people feel more in my eyes both of those people seem like strong um leaders you know when a person isn't when a person is willing to who's in a leadership role like a parent is willing to prop their child put their child up to, to put themselves below and just say thank you for for being you and, and teaching this this lesson in some sort of appropriate way it's just like i respect everyone in that situation so much you know and also you know uh, as a as a good girlfriend reminded me a weekend ago we are all making all of this up all <laughs> of the time mm-hmm. all of the time yeah there is no, you know, that's why, that's why I was like, oh, you figured out that that script wasn't working for you, right? Because yeah. it's, yeah. it's a script. It's not, there's no instruction manual. There's no, there's none of that, right? And I'm going to learn from you is like, oh, wait, dad doesn't have it all figured out? Yeah. Oh, then I guess I don't have to have it all figured out yeah. either. That's I great. get to live in the, sp- I, I get to live in the space between yeah. whatever that means as I figure out what's the right thing for me. And that can also change. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That's, it's also not mutually exclusive from very strong leadership in the kind of, right. you might say, the opposite way, right? Like, right. Yeah. Mm. The one other thing that you said, Jason, um, before we started recording this was how a lot of your subjects also uh, are in the journey of, of refathering them or fathering themselves. Reparenting yeah. themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we, I know we've talked about that a bit uh, on our last conversation. What's your your perspective like for yourself as you are reparenting yourself, especially it sounds like a, around that wound with your dad's, his own journey coming out. Like what, what, like what do you see in your subjects and how is that playing out in your life? I mean, I'm asking, I'm asking, I'm asking similar, I'm asking, Hmm. I want to say that I'm asking similar but different questions, Uh, right? So, uh, you know, a childhood on fire came to be uh, because I I was with Nick and we didn't know each other super well, uh, but I just got this sense. I felt this kind of heat hmm. to ask him this question because I had seen him with his children, you know, and how he parented and was just in such awe. 
um, because it was a different script than I had seen. Yeah. And I said, look, this is what's going on with my dad. And I am really struggling with what my response, what, what I think his responsibility is to me and what Mm. my responsibility is to him as a child. Mm. And that's the question of the film. Mm. You know, what's the responsibility of a parent to a child? Yeah. And it gets asked reflexively both as a, as a, as a son for Nick to, to his, you know, biological parents and step parents and also to, um, to his children. Um, and so like, that's what I'm asking in my film, you know, each film has a different kind of central question. Yeah. And, you know, how, in, in my film for the BBC, which is about gay conversion therapy in, Mm. in the um, Middle Eastern North Africa region of the world, you know, it's a question of how do you survive in a, in a culture, which is, in some ways doesn't even acknowledge that you exist. Right. And in other ways, um, or in other ways in the family unit that's saying, you know, you, you have to get rid of this. Mm. And the film presents this balanced perspective on with both the gal, the conversion therapist saying, you know, you get, you get where that, all that rhetoric is coming from. Yeah. And then you get the first person experience of a, of a gay man and a lesbian. And it's mm. about basically chosen families. Mm. You know, that's, mm. that's how you kind of find your way. You realize that this whole, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this, but like this whole idea that has served us for so long, which is like your biological family is, is the self-sustaining, is the unit that sustains you. Yeah. Well, we live in a, in a different time and place and we may not need that story any longer. Yeah. You know, if the yeah. biological parent or the family and my, my, you know, my people yeah, years have really, you know, we were, we were thrown out of our houses and told, you know, you, you deserve to die and all these types of things. And we went and built chosen families mm. and remade what that looked like. And I think mm. my heterosexual counterparts are also learning, you know, mm. this is who we're doing life with. Yeah. Um, not to say that the biological family unit is horrible. I mean, so, a lot of people have really lovely relationships with their yeah totally with their family but i'm saying that um we have a choice yeah yeah (laughs) and i think that that's a that's a powerful i don't know if that answered your question (laughs) i kind of got off on a little bit of a tangent there no it's good it's it's great i mean you you answered it in your own way and that's beautiful you know that subject of chosen families and biological families has been on my mind a little bit lately um in the exact way you just said um uh and it's interesting the way that you kind of uh, own that you have a chosen family and that you use that phrase so consistently. Um, because I'm one, I, I think too, it's maybe your relate one's relationship with their biological family. You know, it doesn't have to also be like, and not to say you're putting it in these terms, but it would easy be easy. I think to take what you're saying and put it in the terms of, I am either like totally into my and connected with my biological family or I am, um, I am, uh, uh, reject you know, choosing another family and you know adjusting our relationships with our family um, and how much time we spend with them you know maybe you just take the edge off of how much time you spend with your family and you don't feel quite so obligated to spend every holiday with them you know I think that there's a lot of room there to um, relieve some tension and and choose our other families uh, also does that 
makes sense. I mean, that's that's even that's even larger than the chosen family or biological family conversation. You know, it's like um, I, I don't feel the need to get married. I don't feel the need <laughs> to have kids. I know so many of my counterparts who are feel are under feeling this <laughs> sense of expectation and pressure to do that because they may have a script of that's what success looks like. Oh, and, interesting, right. You know, I mean, I I sat back last summer and was talking with my therapist and was like, whoa, everything that I set out for that that I identified as success, I've achieved. Mm. Okay, great. I get to make a whole new life now. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are the, what's the next set uh, of, and not to put yeah. it in this capitalistic productive space, right, but, right. but what does... What does a good life look like? Yeah. And and now what does that mean as I, you know, move as I'm about to enter the 40 to 60, you know, spread? Hmm. What is that what what did I you what did I gain from 20 to 40? What insights did I gain and how has that produced a foundation that I can make different decisions hmm. from 40 to 60? Hmm. You know, I I could I could go back into a corporate job and make a six-figure salary cuz I gratefully got the, you know, you have to understand that that's a lot of money where I come from. So like, mm-hmm. that was a big deal for me to, to yeah. make that much money. But I walked away from it because I was like, I, this is not the life that I'm looking for. Yeah, this is not how I want to organize my time. Yeah, And that's a choice. And when I, you know, when, when sometimes it gets rough <laughs> there, I come back to even in my anxiety that like, I'm still, I'm still captaining this, captaining yeah. this ship the way that I want to captain this ship. And yeah. that is, that is, that gets me up in the morning. Yeah. That, yeah. That, I, that I still have that level of agency. And I think that that, and I recognize that that is a privilege. Yeah. yeah big in time. In many ways. Yeah. Um, but it's also a choice that I've made. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that word agency, I'm so glad you used that. Cause that's the word I was thinking of as you're describing your, like your ability to dictate or choose what you want in your life. And my, I, I was, I lived in a lot of fear for years, most of my adult life, like trying to, to find the safe place of a career of, of relationship and all those things. And it, it, it's maybe, maybe around that time that I had that psychedelic experience. I don't know if it's causal or correlate, you know, those things, but around that time, I thought I have to have agency and it's gotta be about the investments that bring back the fullest riches and joy for my own heart and my own experience and not, and not what I'm, I'm not trying to prep for disaster, right? I'm not, it's like, I don't, I'm not trying to pursue safety and you're right. It is a crazy privilege. Like there is a lot of elements that have to be into place to even begin to ask those questions. Right. Right. (laughs) And, and the fact that I'm a, a white dude who is straight and have opportunity and a family who loves me and a wife who is we're business partners together I get it like that's not common and and um and so I'm I'm very 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 grateful for that experience um I don't know if that came out right I don't know if I should say like I'm I'm glad I was born a white straight guy like that's not what I'm trying to say (laughs) I'm gonna go get holy shit like I get to choose something and it's not common it's not it's not common to get to be able to choose Right. And I mean, I, you know, the, here's, this is the turn that's a kind of interesting yeah. to me now that this has been brought up. Like, 
oh, well, I have this complex relationship with my father because of mm. this sense of betrayal from mm. my teenage years around the gay stuff. Yeah. My father is the one who, who you know, did, because he did not come, he came from no financial privilege at all. I mean, it was wow. like really intense, his, yeah. his um, financial background. And he was the one that instilled that sense of like, make the life that you need to make, Jason. Huh. And now I, it, it's colored in a way because he was struggling with that question for himself right. in so many ways. But I look at, at this gift and this privilege and, and, and the ability to just hold on to that agency of like, mm. I may struggle to make my rent next month, mm. but I'm making the things and I'm doing the work that I feel like I need to do in the world. And that is around bringing these stories of resilience and post-traumatic growth into the world. Mm. And that mm. is, can be so super intense psychologically sometimes, Yeah, but it feels like what I was put here to do. Yeah, And I'm going to do that as opposed to go and I'm going to do that with all the money financial complications um, rather than go and do this other job where I, and wrung out basically. Right. Right. You know, and, and that's that, yes, that's a huge privilege. And it's also, it's also, I don't want to say this. I don't want to put aside the privilege of it, but I also want to, I will also want to honor the agency of the other, of, of other, I mean, this is a long story of creatives who have made this decision over and over again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and they, they bring about a lot of um, medicine and growth and those types of things mm. to the, to the, to the world because mm. they bring a different perspective into the world. Mm-hmm. Sounds like both, uh, both, once you decide that that's the position you want to be in as a creative, like you now, you not, you kind of owe it to the, to that lineage to be responsible with your powers. Am I, am I offer, or does that seem kind of in line with what you're trying to say? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't want to, uh, I hesitate to, Mm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's okay to say no. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I yeah, don't want to, yeah. I, 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 there's this great t-shirt that I saw that just, and I, and I'm afraid to say the slogan cause I don't want to co-opt the language because sure. I understand yeah. where the language is coming from, which is like, yeah. I'm my an- ancestors, like greatest dream. Yeah. And I think about like, I'm living the life that my father who yeah. made all of those choices, oh, he wow. did work that job that he didn't, you know, and so did my mom, you know, Mm. to, to create this, you know, life, which, you know, I still had massive student loans and all these types of things. Like they, you know, they weren't able to help me that way, but um, they created that foundation so that I could then go and do this. And, and, and I, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna honor the hard work and sweat that they did so that I could make these choices. That's beautiful. And also, and also where, where I can open it up so that, you know, I'm, other pe- I'm lifting other people up as, at the same time. It, what it reminded me of was, and I've got to have to wrap it up here, but uh, I'm a, I've been a part of the um, uh, <laughs> non-drinking community for a while <laughs> and uh, haven't had anything to drink in over seven years. 
And one of the strong medicines that I got from being in the, in the uh, sober community is hearing perspective on p- people's stories and, and which is often resilience, right? Like they got to their end and they finally were able to find the, the, the right resources, the right people came in their lives and they were able to have a little bit of room to, to think of something else, to have a different perspective. And, and you've got to get, to a very particular place in your life in order to open yourself up into that community to hear those stories that then gives you the strength, right? And yeah, or or have some experience in your life that that gives that puts you in a position where you're like, is what is the meaning of this? And is any of this worth it? Is this story that I've imbibed, you know, gonna yeah, I could sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. What I was gonna say is is um, many people will choose not to go to those places, whether they need that help or not. They, I think everyone needs to hear those stories of someone, someone saying, I was in a spot that was so bad and something had to change in my life. And, and whether that something was a mental shift or a physical shift in their world, we all need to know it's possible. And, and I think what you are doing, telling your stories around this is saying, Number one, here here are the people that folks aren't thinking about, and number two, they it's a story of resilience, and yeah. and I think that what you're making, what you're doing, is making stories accessible uh, to a broader audience that wouldn't walk into a place and hear those very pri- normally very private stories. And that is like the deep honor of my life is that individuals are willing to sit and share that and give me such trust to oh my gosh. to shape to shape that for such a large audience. I mean, it was, yeah. it was, uh, how to make a pearl was my graduate thesis. And mm-hmm. one of the most important things was that if I was going to sell it, I was going to sell it to a platform that was global and mm-hmm. that was free. Mm-hmm. It was not a walled garden. It could get to as many people mm-hmm. and be seen by as many people as possible. And that has actually proven to be quite useful because last year, what, three years after the film debuted, it went around the circuit again, so to speak, because there were a whole bunch of people that were caught in their houses, couldn't do anything, and they were freaking out. And this, you know, the the, one of the festivals put it back up as saying, like, here's how to here's how to handle isolation. Whoa. Look at what this individual did in in this deep amount of isolation. And so it had another run of of the medicine that John brings into the world that I believe John brings into the world. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would just, can I just say one thing about, yeah, about this that's, yeah, that's yeah. different? I mean, there is nothing normal about someone you love being here one day and then disappearing the next, right? And, and that being from suicide or from a horrific accident, right? right? And it really just, it sat me and it, it positioned me in this place where it was like, well, if it can happen that quickly, then what is what are the choices that I'm making right now? And this is where this agency comes from, mm. right? Do I want to be participating in, like I was in the visual art world where most of my things were inaccessible from a cost perspective to most to most people. They couldn't buy them and put it in their homes, or it was going to be bought, you know, by a museum, hopefully, mm. and then come up, trot it out every once in a while. Or do I want to work in this other space where I get to tell stories, you know, have the privilege of telling stories to broad amounts of people when it's this type of storytelling, right? It's about yeah. crazy traumatic things. And I was like, 
I got that choice, and every single day I'm gonna make that choice as to mm. as to which which world am I am I gonna operate in? Mm. Um, and sure, there's the chemical part that we talked about, but like that's that's the nugget, that's the foundation of that agency of like this could all just disappear tomorrow. Wow. Like, what am I doing right now? Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like so much. I, I finally read Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. Yeah, and that's exactly like. Yeah, I read that and I was like, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for for joining us, man. You're like I know that I could keep going for another two hours, <laughs> and keep asking you tons of questions, and and I might uh, might beg you to come back at some point. I would love to come back. It was Daniel, did you do you have something else? No, I was just saying uh, yeah. if you haven't read the New Earth uh, by Eckhart yeah. Tolle, yeah, highly yeah. recommend. Yeah, yeah, and and he's got an accompanying podcast with Oprah that goes by through chapter by chapter, which is. <laughs> When I first heard, I was like, I am not going to listen to it because of that reason. But then I was like, <laughs> once I got in, I was like, holy shit, this is actually really good. <laughs> it's really, really good. So highly recommended, man. Jason, yeah, how can I, we... I... Go ahead. Go ahead. How, yeah, how can yeah. we find you? And uh, and what are you working on right now? What's about to come out? Or what do you? what's like your biggest thing? Um, I can be found at, on all the social spaces. It's just at Jason Hanasik, H-A-N-A-S-I-K. Um, Instagram, Facebook, uh, the the better the best place, honestly. Uh, even though it's pretty old school, is I do an, an email newsletter. Awesome, um, and that I think is is I probably will be coming, you know, backing away from some of the social spaces and yeah. and devoting my time into that space more and more because yeah. I I like it. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the way you can reach me. Um, I'm working on. I have a new short that's wild um in its uh form it's a dance film it's the first time i've made a dance film but it still deals with uh trauma and post-traumatic growth yeah um that's been a that's been a real curious challenge i'm uh uh, directing that uh that's in post-production i'm working on my first feature which is john who lives in the dark which is a expansion of how to make a pearl um and then i have another project um which is tentatively called Postcards from Amman. Huh. And um, I shot all of this footage when I was in uh, when I was in Amman, Jordan, for the BBC film. I couldn't use any of it because of something that went down with the BBC. Huh. And uh, I'm thinking about repurposing it for um, more first-person, the first kind of first-person documentary that I would do. Wow. Um, and I th- I'm hoping to get that out by early 2022. If it's if any of it is half as good as Childhood on Fire, I know we're all in for a big treat because that is a spectacular film. I'm looking forward to consuming the rest. Yeah, and the animation on your film about the two uh, gay and the lesbian person who are not being supported by their families, uh, that animation, I didn't expect that. It's really beautiful and interesting. Shout out to Leah Nichols, who is an exquisite animator who really helped me figure that one out. Yeah. So it's really thank cool. you for saying that. Yeah. And thanks, Jason. Really appreciate you, man. I'm looking forward to this. And I and I uh a little disappointed to hear that wasn't your type, but uh <laughs> <laughs> well, happy pride. <laughs> happy pride, man. Man, thank you, dude. It's real a real pleasure and gift to get to know you. And I hope we get to like keep talking. Uh yeah directly and indirectly and i'll and i'll reach out to you about the uh psychedelic retreat in september so thank you man thanks guys appreciate it everybody yes awesome